Okay, hi everyone, it's me again, Angela Daly, your Rule of Law Rules podcast host, and this time I'm back with the first episode of our new series on legal technology. We'd like to extend a warm welcome back to our regular subscribers who joined us for our first series on digitalization and data protection. We thank you and our great guests from all over the world for such a successful inaugural series of the Rule of Law Rules podcasts. We also extend a very warm welcome to anyone joining us today for the first time. You've tuned into the Rule of Law Rules podcast from the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. In this podcast, we talk to international experts about the rule of law in the age of digitalization and gain insights into recent developments in different parts of the world. Today, we are starting our new series on legal technology developments globally, and we're delighted to welcome Susanna Kalenjian, who will tell us more about legal technology in the Middle East. Susanna describes herself as a law rebel. She works at the intersection of legal practice and legal technology by helping lawyers use smart technologies to improve the delivery of legal services. She's co-founder and CEO of Legal Advice Middle East, the AI-powered legal services marketplace which operates in 16 countries across the region and helps people access justice by allowing them to find, communicate and transact with lawyers online. Hello and welcome, Susanna. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So our regular listeners will know that we like to start and end our episodes with some quick fire questions to introduce you and your views on legal technology. I will start a sentence and you can finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Legal technology is my favourite topic because... Because it is an enabler. It enables many changes in the life of lawyers and not only. Like this is something that brings change. The first time I realized the importance of legal technology was? When I moved to the UAE, probably when I saw the huge gap between lawyers and their potential clients, and I saw the technology that will be able to bridge that gap. Legal technology is not a new development for the Middle East because? It is new. (laughs) Okay, great. Thanks very much. So moving to our longer question, Susanna, can you tell us about how you started working on legal tech? Well, I came to UAE when I was probably very young and had no experience and started my career here. But it is also because the jurisdiction is very different here. So I basically started my career from the scratch. So I had to learn everything about Sharia law. I had to learn about specifics of this region. I realized that um, it's pretty unique sort of location globally because four countries where foreigners constitute the majority of the population are in the Middle East. And so we usually deal with people who are not clear as to their rights and uh, obligations. And the rule of law is based more on the trust that the government puts on you and the agreements that are more of a mutual ones. And I started working in a law firm and uh, I saw this gap that was almost unbreachable. Like I was thinking how on earth it can be so hard for people uh, to find 
the legal grounds, their their like the knowledge of of law, because here we have not only the cultural um, variety, but also the language wise, the main language in this region is Arabic, and so all of the laws and updates are in Arabic, and most of the people here they don't speak Arabic. So I was thinking initially that this is the main gap that we have to somehow solve. And a lot of the companies that uh, provide um, the translation of the law or in, in any sort of e-discovery for those laws are actually helping breaching that, that, that gap. And our company as well is helping in one way or another by bringing the question and answers in English on different topics and so on. So initially the idea was just to create the platform where the professional platform, which is important, where lawyers will still be lawyers. This is for, for first and foremost, uh, but in the same time where they will show their expertise and knowledge and attract new clients and attract new businesses. Because uh, before that, it was more of a referral-based business. And again, keeping in mind that most of the people who lived here are experts, uh, we don't have this wider community of people and family that can advise us to go somewhere or that can recommend us a lawyer that they have dealt before. And again, this is a very safe country. For most part, people do not face um, legal issues that often. So it happens sometimes. And in that one moment of a time, you just realize how hopeless you are in this search because you're all alone and the only differentiator that you can find is the Google. Um, and somewhat, they, even Google reviews won't help because they're not so popular in this part of the world. Uh, so yeah, initially the idea was just to create this platform and then eventually it grew into something that is now AI powered because we have a lot of the information that we have inbound and we analyze it and give uh, similar answers to, to people. And at the same time, uh, showing lawyers less leads and more based on their current activity. So it helps both sides to make their work more efficient and to lawyers to actually help people and overall what it called is access to justice. Because if we, if you look at it as an enabler, the, the, what the, the platform does in, in general is it helps uh, people to get the right information, but then also for lawyers to get out there and have their name uh, in, in somewhere digital world in a simple way without the coding and uh, being able to, you know, like do the hard tech. So your platform, uh, which sounds very interesting and kind of opening up new possibilities, both for uh, clients and also for lawyers to access perhaps new clients and new markets, it would be considered an example of legal technology or legal tech. Is this a term that is well known or well understood in uh, your region? Or are people using things like your platform, but they don't, including lawyers, but they don't really understand that this is an example of legal tech? I think you phrase it exactly right, the second part, because even us, when we started this platform, we never called it a, a legal tech because we thought the legal tech is something that is used for like document automation. And then in the very early stages of our development, we were very lucky to get into the Hague Institute of Innovation Law 
a program and they introduce us to ourselves. They said, listen, guys, first of all, this is the marketplace for legal professionals and you are providing the tech, then it means that you are a legal technology company. And second, they also show us what the access to justice is and what it does and how we actually, you know, support that movement. The same way I believe most of the people that we even work work with and we have law firms that are with us for the five years in a row now, when we ask them if they use any tech, they would probably say, well, not really. We use the Excel files. Is it a tech? Because this is a software still and they use it for many things and they store files in their computers. Is it a tech? So I'm not sure that they have this clear picture and clear understanding of whether the softwares that they're using are specifically legal technology software or just the software that helps them do some things. So yeah, it is not a familiar, especially when we started. We started in 2015. At that time, legal technology was such a new word that we were even trying not to use it in our pitch for lawyers. We were just saying that it's a marketplace, which is here is a very big word. Everyone understands and everyone has this buying mentality. So that was easier than just, you know, bring to the table the legal technology as a term. So even if legal technology or legal tech or law tech isn't a very well-known term in the Middle East and the United Arab Emirates, you have already touched on this, that law firms are using technology. Uh, So can you give us a little bit more of an insight into how technology is changing the legal industry and sector, whether people understand it as legal tech or not? Well, now it's it's getting more and more popular, especially when the big players in the market, like Thomson Reuters, uh, LexisNexis, they came into this market and they started introducing people to legal tech. It, it is a big input that they are doing and the educational part is playing a pivotal role in the whole of this process. When I'm now invited to more and more firms to help them with their tech and to basically digitalize the law firms, they understand that there are some sort of technology out there that they probably will be able to use and they really are eager to know what is that. So in terms of do they understand that they need document automation tools or they need CRM system or case management system? For their law firm, probably not. They just heard, which is, again, brilliant already and a good step forward. They know already that there are certain processes that they can improve, but they just need a person that will come map out the whole law firm and how it works and just suggest them the uh, best software or the best solution for their particular need. So we've talked a lot about law firms so far, but what about judges and the judicial system more generally in the Middle East? Is technology and AI going to support it or is it going to disrupt it in your view? Well, I'm a huge believer in this country government for many reasons. First of all, because I live here for quite a while and I see how they are able to Uh, certainly see the future in certain things. The huge development and the huge step forward happened last year when the uh, uh, COVID situation happened because I saw how fast the courts transformed into the digital courts. Of course, it would take them forever or at least the next 10, 10 years to develop it step by step and without the errors. But now we can see that the technology that they were able to implement in the first few months of that stress, 
it's actually working till now and it's helping them to also certainly step into the new era of judicial systems. We as a company also, during the COVID, as soon as it happened, we signed an, an exclusive deal with the UAE Ministry of Justice. And we basically became, became a platform that is a help support to their local lawyers because they license uh, local lawyers in their practice. And they provided this, this platform as a digital solution for actually surviving or even striving during these hard times. And it shows a lot of uh, empathy to business. And it shows a lot of understanding of how hard it can be. So the courts were closed here for two months. And I can say that uh, probably UAE uh, and maybe Israel out of all the region made the best out of this situation with pandemic. And they were trying to use all the possible technologies and they were open to cooperate with private companies. So this cooperation and this willingness to actually see private companies from the government perspective, it is a huge thing for me. Uh, in terms of their mentality and understanding of where the business is moving. In terms of the court, probably what's worth mentioning from the Middle East, uh, the courts that is now did, almost did all digital, and it wasn't like this two years ago, not that far. Like two years ago, it wasn't that advanced, is the Dubai courts. Dubai courts are now using a lot of the systems that they build in-house. They build it themselves, trying to use experiences from, from Hong Kong, from Singapore. I know for a fact that the digital director, I think that his title of the Dubai courts were traveling a lot and trying to understand different systems and trying to implement that. And it happened so that he was able to work on it during the past two years, which is a great advancement, right? Definitely. Well, COVID's been a huge challenge all over the world. It's also spurred on various developments, including around digitalization, including in the legal sector. So there's some very interesting outcomes so far. So would you say then that the UAE in particular is a leader really in legal technology in the Middle East? And if so, can you tell us a bit about what other countries are doing that maybe aren't as advanced in legal tech as the UAE is? Well, I can say that because we started in the UAE in 2015, there were no other legal tech startups at that time. We were just the first one. And the hardest part is that we basically build and educate the grounds for all other startups to come. Whenever now the startup is created and they will go to our clients, for example, clients will already know what the legal tech is, what the digital solutions are and how to use them and what are the benefits. Probably in the region, while we started expanding, we also recognize the same, the same thing. Maybe because the first thing that lawyers are thinking about is the practice management and it's not that visible and the software that they are using are usually like either global players or somewhat European players that they are able just to use for their own practice. So it's not that clear to me at this stage whether 
the startups and the local solutions are actually, you know, playing a big role into development of the legal technology in the region. But I definitely can say that Lebanon at some point had, um, you know, some of the startups that were raising because, again, they have a powerful support from the UK tech hubs uh, that are created in Lebanon to support the startups by the government. And there are also uh, different programs in Jordan that are also creating uh, the hubs. And again, this is the first place where, for most part, startups are created or the companies start you know, thriving, especially legal tech. It requires a lot of support and understanding of the local market. The more we go forward, the more hubs are created, the more people get to know what legal tech is. The wave of this development, unfortunately, if in the US we can see now billions are invested in legal tech, here it is very hard to fundraise for legal tech startup. And probably we will speak later about it, but legal tech startups here are the trailblazers by themselves. So they have to convince not only their clients, but also investors, but also other players on the market to actually use their technology and see their technology as, as something that will make a difference. Okay, so what about the regulatory environment for legal technology? You've spoken a bit about the business environment, also understanding or not among law firms and clients of legal tech, but are governments active in regulating it or are they taking a step back and just letting uh, the market emerge without much in the way of regulation? No, in this way, we are very similar to the global market. Uh, legal uh, in general is very legula- regulated and um, distracted by the local um, regulations constantly. And here it's pretty much the same. We were lucky because of the introductions and because of the work we were doing with lawyers. We had many like reviews from lawyers and we were trying to, but at some point there were like the worry from our side that the government can just decide that we are illegal and that it, you know, at some point uh, just will not allow us to work and to work with lawyers to, to get them on board, you know, to have all those answers public. But then eventually, the more they understand what we do, the better their support is. So at this point, for us as a company, I can say, that in the region we are supported by the government rather than uh, being you know, stopped or regulated at any point. Of course, we have uh, normal procedures of compliance, like we have to only onboard lawyers who are duly qualified, registered, certified, and we don't have any freelancers because in this region it is not possible. Well, at some countries like Egypt, for example, you can have like a certificate of uh, bachelor degree from the university, bar registration, which as to my knowledge is not even required um, to pass the bar exam. And you can practice, you don't even need the office, but uh, other countries are more regulated. So lawyers themselves have to go through various registrations and various verifications from the government in order to be able to practice. And then only after that, after their submission of all the, their documents, we are able to onboard them to our platform. In this way, yes, we are regulated. But for most part, I think if the company tries to bring the idea of the business and not breaching any current and existing law and explaining themselves of what they're doing, I think the government is okay and open to change because they are actually implementing a lot of new things that are not even you know, available globally 
um, but just trying to see whether it will make you know that difference. And again, Dubai and the UAE specifically is a brand known for everything. New is just because they're ready to you know challenge and see how it will work out. They don't have experience in that though, but they're trying. Just on the point of making that difference, you spoke a bit uh, previously about particularly your platform, but other legal tech examples improving access to justice in the region. Can you tell us more about what you think the impact of legal tech is specifically on access to justice issues in the Middle East? I think uh, I have to mention a couple of startups that are working here. We have startups who are working in similar area to us, like marketplaces. Right now, there are uh, a few in Lebanon as well. There are a few companies that are working on chatbots and trying to automate documents as well. So in this way, uh, we have a couple of companies that are changing their own local markets at this time. The only company that actually threaded the knowledge and the awareness and the you know operations through all the region uh, at this stage is only ours and if you take the the global players like thomson reuters lexis nexus of course they have representations in most of the countries globally including the middle east as as the region in terms of the startups i guess we have local players and they're playing a pivotal role in their own local markets at this stage when it will be visible to the global players is only when we will see the investment going into the sector and the companies will be able to grow and overcome their own local markets and bring their technology if it's any innovative technologies or have certain ideas that are not available globally with the money of the investor. You know, some ideas that can be commoditized and grew as much as, as like globally or let's say just regionally, the impact is there. It's just hard to evaluate how impactful the local software providers are at this stage. Maybe a difficult question to answer, but in uh, the context of these examples, these developments that you've spoken about, to illustrate the value of legal tech, can you, for the benefit of our listeners, give a particular example of when legal tech actually has helped close uh, the access to justice gap in the Middle East? I think the easiest example will be if I'll talk about my own company and our own examples because I have a few and they're pretty amazing even to myself, to be honest. Because when I realized that we actually do what we do, the company and its development became more than just a you know, business structure for me. I remember one example, and this is the usual practice at our platform. All the people that ever received the help from our platform received my personal email from me, generated by the platform, but it's from with my con- contact details, with my signatures uh, under it. We ask people for their opinion and we ask how and if we were able to help them get the legal information they were looking for, the legal help they were looking for. And I remember receiving a, a very long letter from the woman. At that time, she was already in Canada and she has two kids, one of which um, needed the special treatment. Uh, and she told me the story of how she was able, through our platform, to get this anonymous help that we promised from our lawyers. And she was able to escape from uh, the very unhealthy and... Uh, 
violent environment uh, at her house. She lived in the Middle East for quite some time as she needed to get to her home country with her kids. And it, it was a hard decision as well for her, I believe. And the story was just the heartbreaking as it is. And, but she told me on every step how she was able to actually use our platform in order to get the justice for her even being in such a hard coincidence. Um, so our lawyers were able to bring her to the airport and got her the tickets and actually helped her through the help, of course, of the immigration and many other players were in this situation. But overall, our platform was the first step that was, you know, the help for her. Is it a breach of the this access to justice gap? For me, the biggest one, because people are able to get the justice in the situation when they would never, ever got it otherwise. And uh, situations like this are not single. We had many people who were just saying that otherwise I would never go to a lawyer. Like I, I would, I would think that this is first too expensive. Second, I don't trust lawyers. They're making things even worse. And I'm afraid that I will feel stupid because of their language. And I don't understand what they're saying. So on a smaller level, if you don't think of it as, as something that we are breaching the gap for, like global problem, you take like actual examples of people and the way they are able to use the technology, even the small one, like a marketplace, what they're able to do with their life and how it's actually changed each and every life in particular, you will see this. Um, I'm having a goosebumps right now. You see in this, this change and uh, you see in this opportunities that were never there before. As we know, globally, uh, the statistics are showing that 75% of people would never have uh, access to justice, would never have uh, any possible ways to get to a lawyer and to get the legal advice. So having a platform where everyone can get the free legal advice at any moment of time, being anonymous, is creating this environment of not being afraid of anything. You just ask a question, you get the answer, and then you decide. This decision that the person is making, having all the information in hand, is access to justice to me. That's amazing. And it must be so rewarding to hear these stories and know that your platform has actually made a difference. Yeah, for me especially, that it means the world. Yeah, when you work hard and you think of it as a just attack and it's nothing like the software that you are providing. Of course, we have. We, I can see value from the side of the lawyers more often because they are the ones that are just using it on a daily basis and they share how useful it is, how they're able to streamline their processes and how they're getting the new clients and new businesses. But from the client's perspective, it's the most rewarding in terms of the emotional part of it. Like you see the actual lives of the people. And uh, you celebrate the fact that you were able to create the, this environment. Yeah. Perhaps less emotive, but certainly an important aspect of legal tech is funding. And you've mentioned that already. As we know, a lot of legal tech startups are supported by private equity funding. Do you think that private equity funding is an enabler or can also be a barrier to legal tech actually resolving access to justice issues? Yeah, before we probably go into the actual question that you ask about the development, if it helps or it's not, I think it's worth just laying the, the, the grounds in here. Like, what are the investment situation here in the Middle East? 
I think there is a mis- misunderstanding or misperspective of this region as um, having like a lot of money and investing in all the possible goods and assets and, um, you know, startups. It is not as easy as it looks and as it sounds because I'm helping a lot of startups to get investment, but it's the hardest part for me to get investment for my startup at the same time. And I'll explain why. The 99% of the old investments here in the Middle East, irregardless of legal tech, is just any investments, are follow-up investments. So let's say if you as a startup, you go to the US or any incubator globally and you got the funding, someone checked you and someone trusted you and someone believed in your idea and said, yeah, this is this makes sense, this will work. Then you come to the region and this is where the most of the investment happen. The biggest uh, example that I usually bring uh, to the table is the example of similar company to Uber that we, has he- that we had here. The name of this company is Karim. And we had Karim and I remember that their VC funds were saying like, listen, these guys are just, you know, they just don't understand the market. Like we have taxis here all over the place. People are not struggling to get any taxi. And this is a very regulated area. This is the government own taxi, you know, departments and stuff. So it won't be in any way uh, applicable to this region. And then eventually the representatives uh, went to the Silicon Valley and they saw the presentation of Uber at that time. And the Uber was in various initial stages as well of the development, but for them, it was very high checks to actually get in. So what they did, they came back and invested into the Karim and they changed the business model a little bit. And now when the Uber came to this region, they just acquire Karim. So this is the the biggest problem, one of the biggest, let's say, uh, success stories of the region. And it shows like the mentality of how it works. VC funds here are ex-family funds. And family funds were investing in something that is clear, like investment into the buildings, into the structures, into something that is real, like real estate. And then nowadays, when they saw the trends, they also wanted to invest their money into something that will make X10 or in their investment or something. The mentality and the understanding as it's in Silicon Valley, why it happens there, because they invest with the knowledge already, with the experience of many people before them and after them. Here, unfortunately, they learn as they go so that we have money, but the risk aspect is not here. So what will happen if they will come upon the new company that is a new structure and there is no competitor in the market? It's two things that they think. Either the company is having, they're, they're tackling the empty market because if it's any market is there, there should be a competition. And second, it's something new that they don't understand and they cannot predict if the startup will become a next unicorn or not. So they're not investing in either way. That's why it is very hard for some startups to actually get initial funding in this region. In terms of uh, VC being supportive or not, I mentioned this probably um, like it's a silver lining of the whole uh, conversation that we are having is that without this money, it's almost impossible to develop uh, like global solutions or let's say scalable solutions. VC funding is important. The only thing where they can actually somehow impact it in a bad way, impact the startups, I mean, in a bad way, if they will be uh, more involved into the operations of the startups and try to, you know, 
I'm giving you like my own examples. I had a VC fund that came to us and wanted to invest in this. They said, listen, you don't need a marketplace. Like there, this is the hard business model. Let's do document automation. Let's do just this templates. They're out there and we will just do the templates and we will put the chatbot and, you know, boom, we will sell it pretty easy. And in this way, some creative ideas that are even hard to implement um, sometimes die because they're, people tend to go for somewhere where they are being funded. And some points, this makes sense, a lot of sense, because VC has, uh, for, for most part, have experience that you will never have as a, as a startup. So they saw a lot of startups similar to yours, and they know the success uh, stories, and they might give you a good advice. But sometimes you just have to listen to yourself and think whether this is something that you want to be doing, just the documents part, for in my in my case, or you want to create something different. And in this way, it's a hard, much harder, less awarding path. But for me, it makes more sense to go my own way. Fair enough. Yes, I can definitely understand that. So we're almost at the end. And at the end, we do like to look to the future. Um, so what do you think the future of legal tech activities in the Middle East are going to be over the next year? And how important do you think these developments are going to be? Will they have a global impact as well? I really hope so. We are lacking this success stories from the Middle East and we are the big region. We have many opportunities out here. Again, be having the market that is just developing and uh, we can implement a lot of the things that are not yet here. And I really, really hope and I see the potential because again of the government support, because of the VC funding getting more and more experienced with years and because globally legal tech is becoming a trend, I really hope that in the region we will also see some success stories that will be impactful not only for the region but also globally. I really hope by 2022 our company can scale to Asia-Pacific region and uh, get in the more of an international exposure to it. So thanks very much, uh, Susanna. You really gave us a great insight into legal tech developments in the Middle East, what your own platform is doing, and also kind of maybe where things are going in the future. So to finish, we will ask you three more quick questions. I will start the sentence and you can finish it. Technology alone does not lead to more or better access to justice because? Because it's about people more than about the tech. Legal tech is still risky because? Because it's new. And the rule of law rules because? Because law always rules. Thank you so much for joining us today, Susanna. Thank you very much for your time. Interesting questions. You triggered my thought process, so I'll definitely think of your questions later on as well. That's great. It's always good to hear that we are thought provoking in yeah. our questions and in our podcasts. <laughs> so this was the first episode of the second series of the Rule of Law Rules podcast with me, Angela Daly, and our guest today, Susanna Kalenjian. In the show notes, you can find more about Susanna, links to her activities, including her startup, and more information about the Conrad Adenauer Foundation and its rule of law program, which this podcast is part of. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel, where we will release new rule of law rules podcasts at the end of every month. If you like this podcast, then please give us a good rating and tell your data law geek friends about us too. 
I hope you've enjoyed our podcast. See you next time. Mm-hmm.